the Sheriff's Shuffle 5K Run Walk is back. And this year, it raises funds to support Sheriff Nick Kochi's Youth Leadership Academy. Want to learn more? Listen up. What's the Youth Leadership Academy? The Youth Leadership Academy is a summer day camp that provides Western Mass youth ages 7 through 12 positive role models and life experiences for those who can't afford a traditional camp experience. This year, 120 children participated. Who pays for the Youth Leadership Academy? All expenses are covered by donations, like the Sheriff's Shuffle. So when is the Sheriff's Shuffle? It's Sunday, October 15th. And where is it? It's at the Ashley Reservoir in Holyoke. And what time should I be there? Registration starts at 8 a.m. The race begins at 10.30 a.m. How much is it? It's only $35 to pre-register. Where can I sign up? Google HamptonCountySheriff.org and click on the link. Hey, where are you going? I'm going to sign up for the Sheriff's Shuffle. See you there. The ideas and opinions expressed in this show do not reflect the views of WHMP or Saga Communications. This show may contain subject matter not suitable for all listeners. Listener discretion is advised. The mindset isn't about seeking a result. It's more about the process of getting to that result. It's about the journey and the approach. It's a way of life. I do think it's important in all endeavors to have that mentality. Kobe Bryant. Hi, I'm Lisa Riley, and I'm here each week to share the narratives of people and programs both inside and outside the criminal justice system, the reality of life behind the wall, the stigmas that surround those who have been impacted by the justice system, and the many inspiring stories that prove that failure isn't final. This is The Hustler Files. Welcome everyone to this week's The Hustler Files. I have taken another journey outside of the radio studio and I am behind the wall at the Franklin County Jail in Greenfield, Massachusetts. Um, As many of you have heard from other shows, we do a lot of coordinating work with the Franklin County Sheriff's Office. And today we're behind the wall because we're going to do something a little bit different. We're talking with Nicole Gurton, who is the Assistant Superintendent of Inmate Programs. And then a little bit later in the show, we're going to speak with a couple of incarcerated individuals, a woman named Jamie and a gentleman named Mike. So Nicole, thank you and welcome to The Hustler Files. Thank you so much, Lisa. Thank you for having me. And of course, thank you for taking an interest in our clients here and all that we do here. We really appreciate everyone's support for this. So let's just start. Why don't you give us a little bit of background on yourself? Because I believe when you and I spoke a few weeks ago, I have tons of pages of notes, but I'm going to let you let our audience know a little bit about your background. Okay, so I am local. I grew up in Orange, Massachusetts, so I really haven't traveled very far. Um, But my past experience has really been in social work. I'm an LICSW, so an independent licensed social worker by trade. So I didn't come to this position through an academy, through um, an officer background. So really what I'm bringing to this role and to this facility is that social work background. Um, I went to Smith College, did a master's there in social work, and have kind of a public health and sociology background from undergrad at Brandeis. Um, So that's really the background that I'm bringing as far as kind of to this role, my education. 
Um, from past experience, what really got me here at the Franklin County Sheriff's Office is really a background in crisis work. I was in the emergency departments um, for around 10 years doing crisis work, um, emergency department work for clients with acute mental illness or acute substance use, um, something that was bringing them to the ED for a reason other than just a medical illness, really kind of that triage and crisis work. So. From there, I really began working with, with clients that were probably in the midst of one of the worst days of their life, which translate, you can imagine, pretty well from an emergency department to this type of setting where people are experiencing probably one of the lowest moments of their life. I find that you're so calm in how you speak about doing this work, and I know you're very humble about it because we spoke about it previously, but working with people in your other life in a hospital setting how does that differ now from the crisis response and the trauma work that you're doing here at the jail? Well, interestingly enough, when I first interviewed and came on board here at FCSO, I thought I'd seen it all, right? And in my interview, I, I think I even spoke to that in almost maybe even a cocky nature of thinking, okay, if I've done 10 years in an emergency department, what could I possibly be walking into here that I wouldn't have already seen, wouldn't already know, wouldn't be ready to respond to? And what I realized was actually the trauma that I saw in the emergency department, and again, kind of the, the people that I was working with most frequently were acutely suicidal, acutely homicidal, psychotic, again, really in that crisis place. I thought I'd seen the most traumatized individuals in our community. I thought that I had worked with people that had experienced the most trauma. And then I came here and realize the rates of trauma behind the walls is actually more. It's more intense, um, more significant, more pervasive than it was in the emergency department. And so I thought I was going from a place of, of people that were experiencing the most acute trauma in their life to then walking through doors and seeing um, really the way that people's stories and lives have been impacted by complex trauma, years and years of accumulated traumatic experiences that now led them to where they are now here with us at FCSO. So it has been a remarkable kind of journey, thinking, I've done it, I've seen it, and here we are, and it's, it's even more pervasive than I had originally planned and thought. That must be a really interesting transition, because in the hospital setting, you're dealing with someone in the moment, and they're also being treated by a medical staff. But here at the jail, you're working with people on an ongoing basis, so it's not a single day in-out situation. Well, and you're right. It, there's a lot of systems work that adds up within the hospital setting, though, that I think is comparable to the systems work here. In a hospital setting, we'd of course be dealing with the medical department, we'd be dealing with everything that comes after. I would have the opportunity with kind of a crisis triage system to say, this is the best course of treatment for this individual. This is what I'm seeing, this is what the next steps are, and then put those steps into motion. Here, you're right, here we are responsible for all of it. So we have people coming into us in crisis that have acute needs, and rather than saying, okay, the next step is you go over here to this system and engage over here and get this support, now we're still on the hook, we're still responsible for providing that next layer of treatment and that next layer of support, all in-house, while working with a medical system here, of course, that we have, while working with the criminal justice system at large, with the courts, working with the court's timetable and kind of their expectations and the plan and proceedings for the criminal trial that might or may not be happening. And so when we're thinking about coordinating all of that, through a treatment plan lens of saying, this is the next step that we think is appropriate for this client, 
it's a lot of pressure, I think, to really get it right in-house, to make sure that we're providing all of it for all facets of this individual's life. There's no, okay, we're going to refer on to the next. It's, we have to do it here. We have to figure out what's appropriate. You sent me something really interesting. There's an intake assessment form that you use, and it's pretty in-depth. I mean, I grazed through it, and there's a lot of questions. And I guess you were telling me that a lot of jails and prisons use the same assessment form from the minute somebody enters the jail. We do. The form specifically, there's a lot here. There's a lot of documentation, a lot of paperwork. Um, The one you're specifically speaking of is called the Levels of Service Risk Need Responsivity. And that is an assessment that looks at different domains of functioning. So basically just different aspects of the client's life um, prior to them coming in with us. And a lot of it is to gauge, they they call it um, criminogenic risk factors, essentially. And there's a lot of kind of jargon within this field. Um, But it's basically looking at what would be the reasons why someone might continue their justice involvement. And it looks at different domains, and when I say that, I mean family functioning, relationships, um, just companions, the way that people spend their time before coming in with us. It goes through substance use and and mental health and a lot of different areas um, that, again, might impact someone's risk of staying involved with this justice system. So let's switch gears for a second. We're only going to have a few more minutes to talk about the programs from your perspective and what you're doing here at the jail before we introduce Jamie and then Mike. So tell us a little bit about the inmate programs here at the Franklin County Jail. Really what that looks like is in an outpatient community mental health setting or even an inpatient community mental health setting, you'd be receiving group and individualized supports. Um, That would be individual therapy. We have a team of five licensed therapists on board. We also have a team of five educators that, again, have the same credentialing and same education um, backgrounds that you'd find in, say, a high school or even higher learning setting. And really, think of it as a typical day that would involve both classes and group and individual therapy. Those classes range in subjects. And again, our therapy program, really what we're looking at is a lot of the factors that bring someone inside with us, while there talks of you know criminogenic risk factors, really what that looks like is a background of trauma. And so when we have a clinical team that's working with our clients, we're actually now, this is an exciting new initiative, we're going to be providing PTSD treatment to clients coming in that are still re-experiencing or um, interacting with the world in kind of patterns of behavior related to that trauma. And that's something new, that's not something that's typically involved with um, carceral settings. That's not something that kind of is the standard, okay, education classes, standard group DBT treatment. This is something new that we are recognizing. If we're not hitting the mark, we're really missing a tremendous opportunity to provide treatment that would really, in our opinion, reduce those recidivism rates because this is really what's leading people here is this extended trauma. Are there any specific programs that you find not that the majority fall into needing, but there seems to be more programs within the jail that are more necessary for the population of the jail versus some others? Specific programming for our population versus maybe like an outpatient clinic? Is that- of all the programs you offer, is there a higher percentage of programs that are utilized for the population behind the wall versus some other programs? So let's say there's 10 programs, five of them are used 100% of the time, but the other five are barely used. 
I would say that something that we focus on here, and it might be more relevant in our setting because again, people are mandated here. No one is opting to be here. Um, so we really need to look at things from a mandated treatment lens, which does look a little bit different than if you were say living in the community, decided that there was something you wanted to work on and sought out therapy for that specific issue. So a model that we use here that is incredibly important, actually I'll speak of two, motivational interviewing. And this is something that again, back in kind of my hospital days in the emergency department, I became quite familiar with, and again translates here, because it's, it's not always in line with someone's vision for their life, this kind of treatment being brought to them in a way that again, they are not necessarily asking for at that moment. So when we're talking about motivational interviewing, we're really talking about why is someone wanting to engage? What factors might they be looking for? What are their values? What are kind of their core beliefs underneath some of the other things that might be getting in the way for them? Which again is that place of saying, maybe I'm not ready for this. Maybe this is not something that I'm looking at. Maybe I'm in denial around some of the patterns that I have of behavior. But what we want to do, and this is, it's so cliche, you'll hear it mentioned a million times, is meeting someone where they're at, meeting the individual where they're at. In mandated treatment, I feel like that's especially necessary. Really helping someone through those stages of change and moving from pre-contemplation into a more contemplative state, into a stage of preparation, and ultimately into the treatment process and maintaining that treatment process, you have to help people connect with their values and what's underneath it. What are those underlying motivations for doing this work, which can be tremendously difficult. There is so much here we can just drill down on, and we want to get to Jamie and Michael. Nicole has been a wonderful guest today. And Nicole, before we cut to break, I have a question that I always ask all of my guests on the show. Um, I'm a big believer in life assignments and that we have them and we go through different ones or maybe we have one that lasts a lifetime. What do you think your life assignment is? That's that's an interesting question as a social worker, I think, to answer because so much of our, our work is around change and around moving forward in directions maybe we didn't think possible. I'd say I do believe in fate. I believe that there are certain moments in your life that you have an opportunity to follow a path that maybe, again, you didn't think was the next step for you. I didn't go into, I guess, this career thinking that I was always going to land here. I did not always think that I'd be a social worker. I always think especially that I would land in corrections. I would have said I probably would have been diving off Australia with great white sharks or something like that if I think if I'd really planned it out and then I had a moment where I saw a lot of human suffering and I saw a lot of need and I saw how many people would benefit from additional people providing these types of services or going into this field or providing this work for others and it's hard to turn your back on something like that once you see the need it's hard to not address it or not go into a field where then you are helping a very admirable answer, I think. And uh, we need to take a quick break. So everybody sit tight, grab another cup of coffee. We'll be right back with this week's The Hustler Files. Hello, this is Patrick Kaling, Sheriff of Hampshire County. This year, my office received the prestigious Fatherhood Award from the Children's Trust, a state child abuse prevention agency, for our work with the Nurturing Fathers Program. 
We are proud of our partnership with the Children's Trust and firmly believe that strong, safe families help build strong, safe communities. If you're interested in joining our award-winning team, visit our website, HampshireSheriffs.com, submit an application online, or call and ask for our HR department. Welcome back to this week's The Hustler Files. In case you're just joining us, we are on location behind the wall at the Franklin County Jail in Greenfield, Massachusetts, and we just had a great conversation with the Assistant Superintendent of Inmate Programs, Nicole Gurton. So if you missed that, you'll have to rewind and come back when the podcast launches. But in the meantime, we're here with Jamie, and she is incarcerated here at the Franklin County Jail. And um, we're really excited to chat with her and hear her story and what she's been doing here at the jail. And Jamie, thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome. So tell us a little bit about your background. Um, I have been incarcerated. I just came back, but I just did seven months and ended up leaving in July. Came back in September for a violation. I learned a lot here, though. I. Uh, and you were here, you said, seven months in the previous incarceration? Yes. Are your reasons for incarceration based on drug addiction? Uh, yes, they are. They're old cases, and I just kept violating probation and eventually had it take a year. And... Are you from Franklin County? Yeah, for the past 10 years. So how do you find it here? I mean, there aren't that many women who are incarcerated here. My understanding there's about 20 to 25 at any given time. What's it like in, I think you're in Bravo Pod, correct? It's actually a lot different now than it was. When I was here last time, we had like 12 girls. Now we have like 30, which is minimal compared to the males. But for us, it's just you put 30 girls in one room and there's going to be some minor issues. No cat fights, I hope. Not really. I've never seen an actual fight. I mean, they argue over, like, petty stuff, though, most of the time. What does your day look like when you get up in the morning? What time do you get up? We get up at, like, quarter seven. We have to stand for head count at seven. And then we eat breakfast and have meds at 7.30. And then after you do your medications, do you have specific programs that you have to go to throughout the day that almost like a classroom or if you were in college or high school? So the only mandatory programs is DBT and OTP. Other than that, everything's elective. I try to sign up for as much as I can. Now, you're back this time still in pre-trial or have you been sentenced oh i was sentenced last december probation and then i was a suspended year and then i got in trouble and had to take the year so what's your current status on when you expect to be released again i wrap up december 15th so you're a few months out yes but i just did eight so you know a few months is nothing and all my cases will be closed well that's encouraging now what do you think one of the more important and more impactful things have been here at the jail that has helped you? Last time I was here, I was minimum. Actually, I just got minimum again. I was able to leave the jail and be half in the community and half in the jail. So that helped me. I don't do well in one spot all day long. That's why I signed up for a lot of the programs, though. Now, I heard when we were chatting before you came in about the Criminal Justice Center and about the dog shelter. Do you want to talk about what you've been doing with those? So when you become minimum here as a female, you go out to the CJSC and you take your classes there and your programming there. You also get the opportunity to like go to an NA meeting in the community and have re-entry meetings there. So you're there four days a week. And then on the fifth day of the week, you go volunteer at the Franklin County Dog Shelter. And do you enjoy that? I do. 
Um, I haven't started it again yet, but I should start within a couple weeks, and I did it for a few months last time. That's awesome. Now, when you get released, do you have a plan of where you can live and housing and assistance so that you don't recidivate? So they do a lot in here, and I actually got housing while I was in here. And if that doesn't work, I'm going to go into, like, community living. Do you have family in the area? I do. I have my mother, and I have five kids. So in all the people that you've met here and the social workers and the programs, is there one person who stood out for you? They all have been really helpful. I've been through, like, four or five different caseworkers. Mickey from Reentry has done more than enough that she had to for me. And she actually followed me through minimum pre-release and then she would see me on the street outside and then she'd speak to me then too. And I always like to ask all my guests the same question, but Jamie, I'm a firm believer that we all have life assignments and sometimes they're tough and sometimes they're easy and sometimes we don't get to choose them, sometimes they're chosen for us, but do you think you have a life assignment and what it might be? Um, I do. I don't enjoy being here, but I accept it, and I put myself here. I can't blame anybody else. And the jail really does teach you how to help yourself. You just have to bring that to the outside with you, which is where I have trouble. I was in nursing school four years ago, so my goal is to go back to that. That's amazing. Well, we wish you all the best in your journey. I hope you get back to nursing school. I hope you get to reconnect with all five of your children and that you don't come back again. That is definitely the goal. All right, folks, hang tight, grab another cup of coffee because you're going to need it, and we'll be right back with this week's The Hustler Files. Franklin County has a vibrant history of farming. At the Franklin County House of Correction, we bring that history to life with education and vocational programs around farming and gardening. Incarcerated men and women learn to work in active organic garden. Best of all, they harvest, they send home to help support and feed their families. This is Sheriff Chris Donnellan, and I can't think of better therapy than farming and feeding your family. That's the history of Franklin County, and we honor it at the Sheriff's Office every day. And uh, now we're joined by Michael. And Michael, thank you for joining us this week on the Hustler Files radio show. Thanks for having me. So why don't you give us a little bit of background on yourself? Yeah, so my name's Mike. I've been through quite a bit in my life and struggles. I've been in and out of this facility and other facilities, a couple of different states since I was 13 years old. You know, sometimes it feels like my identity is centered in institutions and it's overall during the times that I've stayed, I've learned quite a few different lessons, but it's been really hard. You know, it's, it's hard to live a life of incarceration and in and out of places like this. But, you know, I think it also builds a sense of resilience, you know, because I haven't given up. I haven't really, you know, said that that was it. This is enough. So you're from the Franklin County area? I am. am, Yeah, I I first got locked up here in 1995. I was 17 years old. Been a long journey, man. It's, It's a hard road, but there's there's plus sides to it, too. So I noticed when you walked in just now to sit down and and meet with us, you're in jeans that have a lot of paint on them. You're not dressed like a typical incarcerated client here at the jail. Are you doing work within the jail um, here behind the wall? Yep, yep. I'm housed in the minimum facility, so I 
got locked up for a probation violation back in December. Um, and then I came into DPOD, which is a sentenced unit. I did some programming there, did what I was supposed to, got reclassified, and I'm in minimum now. I currently work in walks and grounds, so I mow all the lawns. I, you know, trim all the fence line, um, the big backfield down there. There's 50 acres here that we have to mow every week. So, you know, I mean, it's it takes a week to do the whole property. And that's what I've been doing, yeah. So how long are you in for this time? I got two and a half years for a probation violation. Wow, two and a half years. So how much longer do you have to serve? I see parole in five and a half months. Wow. Well, I'm glad you're coming up on the end. Mike, I do wish you all the best when you get out and, and whatever that brings you. I ask all my guests the same question, and I want to ask you as well. Um, I'm a believer in life assignments. You've had quite a journey in your life. Do you think you've had a life assignment, and, and or you think you have one that you still haven't explored? I, I don't know, man. I like this right here is I've done everything in my power not to find myself in a repetitive cycle. And it's like my my life path has found this, you know, and I've, I've had to learn a lot of things along the way. And I've had to learn to calm down. I've had to learn not to be reactive. But I think that no matter what we do, the next moment is always an opportunity for something different or something else or something better or something new. Well, I wish you all the best. And you do have a great mentor and friend, I think, in Emily. Thank you for joining us today. Welcome. Thank you for having me. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back in a minute to wrap up this week's The Hustler Files. So don't go anywhere. Did you know the Franklin County Sheriff's Office has programs to support our seniors? This is Sheriff Chris Donnelly. Our triad unit provides free medical equipment to senior citizens who need help staying in their homes. This could mean the difference between going home after rehab or into a nursing home. Our incarcerated men at the Franklin County Jail work to repair and maintain donated wheelchairs, scooters, walkers, and hospital beds that we then make available to seniors for free. Just another service our Sheriff's Office is proud to provide for you and your family. We are back, and I felt that the thoughts today align well with the conversations we had. Life is to be experienced, not fought against, run from, or engaged half-heartedly. Though we may wish to make changes in the future, to be conscious is to be with an experience as it's unfolding, rather than thinking about how we would like to change it. Taking charge of our life so that we alter the quality of our experiences in the future comes after an experience. Dr. Shafali Saberi, The Conscious Parent. And that's a wrap on another Hustler Files for this week. I sincerely believe that it is only through storytelling and education around prison reform and criminal justice that we can actually activate change, not only in ourselves, but hopefully carry it forward to help others who are looking to put their past in the rearview mirror. I want to thank Sheriff Chris Donnellan and all his team for allowing us to come in behind the wall today. Of course, I want to thank Emily and Nicole and Mike and and Jamie for their time today with the show. You can find all of our shows on the whmp.com podcast page or any of your favorite podcast sites. Have a wonderful week ahead and remember, don't be ashamed of your story. It will inspire others. See you next week right here on The Hustler Files. Hello, this is Patrick Kaling, Sheriff of Hampshire County. 
This year, my office received the prestigious Fatherhood Award from the Children's Trust, a state child abuse prevention agency, for our work with the Nurturing Fathers program. Because of our work, Hampshire County has many more fathers with a deeper understanding of the important role they play in the lives of their children and their families. We are proud of our partnership with the Children's Trust and firmly believe that strong, safe families help build strong, safe communities. If you're interested in joining our award-winning team, visit our website, HampshireSheriffs.com, or submit an application online, or call 413-584-5911 and ask for our HR department.